financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. The Earth's poles have shifted periodically, maybe around three times over the last 100,000 years. And these shifts were brought on by an asymmetrical accumulation of ice that would build up in the polar regions and cause the balance of the thin axis to become destabilized. So the crust would shift as a solid shell it would slip over the mantle underneath and it would correct itself. And the process that this disease believed took place rather quickly and had catastrophic consequences. C60 Evo delivers the miracle molecule, ESS60. It's pure carbon 60. Why not love your body and share C60 Evo with those you love? ESS60 from C60 Evo is a mega antioxidant for increased strength, endurance, flexibility, and a deeper sleep. It's great for pets too. I take a tablespoon every day and so does the mighty Aphrodite. We're both sleeping better than we have in years. And during the day, we have such tremendous energy and vitality. We're both pain-free. In a landmark peer-reviewed animal study in Paris, France, rats fed ESS60 lived twice their normal lifespan. Go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen or click on the C60 Evo link in the episode notes. Use the code EVRS at checkout and save 10%. ESS60 from C60 Evo. Order your miracle in a bottle today. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Aerospace engineer, researcher, author, Dr. Mark Carlotto is here to propose new answers to basic questions concerning human origins, ancient technology, and archaeological enigmas. Let's imagine that ancient sites such as Machu Picchu, Chichen Itza, the Acropolis, and the, the Temple Mount are not only thousands of years old, but much older. Now, until recently, a lack of hard, hard evidence has led mainstream archaeologists to dismiss theories of past civilizations as pseudoscientific attempts to resurrect ancient myths and legends. However, new archaeological discoveries are beginning to challenge conventional explanations. And here to present this new evidence suggesting the existence of a previous technological civilization on Earth 
is Dr. Mark Carlotto. He's an aerospace engineer with over 30 years of experience in satellite imaging, remote sensing, image processing, and pattern recognition. He received a Ph.D. in electrical engineering from Carnegie Mellon University in 1981 and has published numerous technical articles and books. Mark contributed extensively to the investigation of the face and other structures in the Sidonia region of Mars, analyzed anomalous objects in STS-48 and STS-80 space shuttle videos, and participated in a recent study of unusual surface features on the far side of the moon. In his latest book, before Atlantis, Mark draws from his unique background and experience to propose new answers to basic questions concerning human origins, ancient technology, and archaeological enigmas. Mark Carlotto, how are you? I'm fine, Richard. How are you? Thanks very much for having me. My pleasure. Terrific. Uh, happy New Year. Uh, before, Thank you. Before we get into these, these ancient sites and ancient civilizations and so forth, let me get your thoughts quickly. On um, on China, the landing this rover on the far side of the moon four days ago. I know this is a subject near and dear to you. Uh, do you think they've captured photos of ancient structures? Perhaps uh, they're, you know, they, they may release them, they may not. What are your thoughts? Yeah, we're you know people are wondering why they why they landed uh, at this particular site, and uh, it's um, it's an unusual place because uh, according to geologists, there are much more interesting areas on the far side. Um, however, uh, this is an area that we actually are close to an area that we looked at uh, a few years ago in a study uh, that we published a paper on uh, called, uh, uh, it was a study of, of some anomalies near a crater called Paracelsius C um, on the far side. And um, what is evident is that there's a number of um, what are called thermal anomalies. Uh, and it may be that the Chinese are looking to investigate some of these thermal anomalies. These are places that don't behave in terms of temperature changes the same as the rest of the lunar surface for, could be for a couple of different reasons. Uh, new, new craters look this way. But uh, there was actually a site that, uh, or an area that looked uh, as if it could have been ex- excavated. Uh, so this would expose, you know, lunar rock. And so it would behave uh, in terms of temperature changes compared to the surrounding soil in a different way. And uh, so this is actually not too far from where the um, spacecraft landed. So, and, and they are moving north and that in that general direction. So it's possible that they're, you know, going to be uh, investigating some, some of these thermal anomalies. So we'll wait, have to wait and see. I don't know if it's related, but um, a ufologist, a Canadian ufologist friend of mine, uh, Victor Vigiani, was telling me just the other day that the Chinese government is summoning UFO researchers from around the world. Uh, the, I understand that Don Schmidt, Roswell investigator Don Schmidt, has been uh, summoned. He's over there or has been over there several times. Canada's own Grant Cameron. Uh, I don't know what they're what they're gearing up for, whether the two are related. It's it's interesting. Well, I mean, the Chinese have expressed uh, their their plan to, uh, you know, to to have uh, permanent settlements on the moon. And uh, this could be a prelude to uh to scoping out some some candidate sites, uh, you know, Sagan, Carl Sagan, uh, back uh, a number of years ago, uh, was one of, uh, of of a number of uh, radio astronomers who suggested the uh, possibility that uh, this would be a good place uh, to set up uh, radio telescopes uh, because it's protected, of course, from the you know radio emissions of the Earth. It's a nice quiet background. And uh, also, this might be a place where you could find uh, possibly uh, uh, alien artifacts, that this might be a place where, uh, you know, aliens might have set up uh, outposts uh, to monitor Earth. And so it's always been a subject of some speculation and, and mystery and interest. So, um, that you know, that we're finally getting there is, is, uh, is really cool. And we have some, the Chinese have some cool instruments and uh we have a number of, of satellites that are orbiting with uh, various sensors, both uh, optical and thermal, and and um, and other you know other wavelengths. So uh, uh, it's it's interesting time. We have a lot of cool technology to uh, you know to begin to uh, you know get to the bottom of some of these mysteries, perhaps. 
Well, let's uh, let's delve into uh, another mystery, perhaps related, possibly so, and you can elaborate on that later if you'd like. But th- these ancient sites, uh, Machu Picchu, uh, the Acropolis, which is very near and dear to me. I've been there several times. My wife is, is Greek. Uh, the Temple Mount. Um, the, the traditional narrative is that uh, we're talking, what, on the order of 2,500 years old, maybe f- for the pyramids, maybe 4,500 years old. That's the traditional timeline, correct? Right, right. And so, so yeah, yeah, so how do we, how do we get from that timeline to something far more dramatic? Maybe, you know, on the outside, it could be, you know, uh, 10 times that old. Uh, how do you, how do we get from, from the traditional narrative timeline to your hypothesis, uh, which sort of gets us into the, the polar shift? Let's talk about that, the Hapgood, uh, polar shift hypothesis. Right. So that, that's the big question. And, and, and it's a big question that you have to break down. Um, so the po- the idea of, of pole shifts actually goes back to, uh, the, uh, time after the Spanish conquistadors um, and um, the Spaniards and others that were in, in France sort of chronicling, um, you know, uh, the oral histories, capturing the oral histories and, uh, you know, trying to gain an understanding of this, of this, of this civilization, uh, much of which, you know, we've lost uh, knowledge, at least of the, certainly of the esoteric side of it. Um and um, one of the things that was talked about or alluded to was uh, these these ages um, that were punctuated by catastrophes, uh, which is you know a theme that occurs worldwide in different traditions. And a uh, part of that that myth had to do with with cataclysmic changes caused by sh- uh, well the translation was. Uh, shifts in the axis of the earth. Um, so one can interpret that to mean changes in the direction the axis was pointing. You know, right now our, you know, the direction that the axis points at is, is defined by the obliquity, which is like 23.5 degrees, I think. Uh, and that changes very slowly over a period of about 41,000 years. Um, it's not clear whether they were referring to that or to actual changes in the geographic location of the pole. And this idea is a little harder to grasp. You know, we, we kind of visualize the Earth spinning like a top tilted on its axis. Uh, but the idea now that the skin of the Earth, which is where everything, we all live and the oceans and everything is located, the idea that this can shift relative to the core is not something that's easy, easily visualized. But the possibility that this could occur began to be thought of in the um, uh, in, in the twentieth century, leading up to around ni- in the nineteen fifties when Hapgood uh, proposed a hypothesis that the Earth's poles have shifted periodically. Uh, he thought maybe around three times over the last hundred thousand years, and these shifts were brought uh, brought on by. Uh, an asymmetrical accumulation of ice that would build up in the polar regions and cause the the balance of the the spin axis to basically to become destabilized. So the crust would shift as a solid uh, shell. It would slip over the the um, the, uh, the plastic uh, slip more slippery mantle underneath, and it would correct itself and process that this, uh, you know, this, this process he believed took place rather quickly and had catastrophic consequences and is resp- was responsible for mass extinction, the number of species, for uh, changes in patterns of glaciation and ice ages and other things. And so this was an idea that he proposed um, not, not for archaeological purposes, but to understand um, patterns of climate change on earth now like right now the prevailing you know belief is that the climate is driven over cycles called uh melancholic cycles and these are driven by changes in obliquity in uh the uh, eccentricity of earth's orbit around the sun 
and, and various other factors. Cosmic but rays. None of them. Cosmic rays. Yeah, there's a number. There's a number of, of factors that contribute to this, um, and it it turns out that none of these appears to be sufficient to explain the the extreme nature of climate change, the extreme patterns of of, of climate change, of glaciation and the interglacial periods. Now, I'm not an Earth scientist, but I understand enough of this um, to realize that there's some plausi- there's some plausibility in this hypothesis. And, you know, I, I'd become familiar with it a number of years ago in the context, uh, uh, ironically, uh, related to Mars, because we were trying to understand the alignment of certain features on Mars that um, one scientist suggested might have once been aligned uh, to the cardinal directions because Mars, too, uh, has had pull shifts in, in the distant past. And so, long story short, this got me into, uh, you know, learning about Hapkins theory and the work of Rose and Ram, uh, Rand Flynn Ath, uh, uh, Canadian researchers who proposed the idea that Atlantis is now Antarctica, that, uh, that the, uh, the uh, destruction of Atlantis was the result of the, la- the last pole shift that occurred uh, 12 to 18,000 years ago. And the remnants of Atlantis are now uh, buried under the South Pole. And so that was, that was kind of how I got started on this. Right. So these dramatic pole shifts, not, not, uh, the magnetic pole drifting slightly, you know, to the several degrees, uh, which is, ha- which is happening now. I mean, we're having to realign uh, airports and so forth because of this, but we're talking about, the, the mantle actually spinning around on the, on the core or slipping so that the North Pole, um, is now what? I mean, how dramatic was it? What did North actually flip to South and South to North at one point? Well, yeah, I mean, which are, uh, magnetic, magnetic reversals occur, uh, periodically and the slow drift or the change in magnetic declination that you refer to is well known and that, that's what requires that you have to, you know, calibrate your compass. I mean, it doesn't change that quickly, but no. over a period of time, it's changed quite, it's moved quite a bit. Currently, the magnetic North Pole is in northern Canada. It's quite far from, uh, from the Arctic Circle. Um, and it can deviate by, uh, by about 20 degrees. But yeah, that's, that's not the phenomenon. It's not a magnetic shift. It's, it's actual shift of the geographic pole caused by the slippage of the mantle. So, now the North Pole is where it is uh, in the Arctic. Uh, previously, Hapkud had determined, based again on patterns of climate change and glaciation, that the previous pole was located uh, somewhere uh, around Hudson Bay. Prior to, and that was uh, twelve to eighteen thousand years ago. Before that, he pushed his analysis back even further and uh, speculated that there was a previous location located somewhere between Greenland and Norway uh, about 40,000 years before that. And another 40,000 years or so before that, the pole was located somewhere in the Yukon. And, uh, and these, again, correlated with estimates of, you know, different glacial periods at the time. Some of these dates actually have been uh, uh, updated quite a bit uh, with more recent information. And uh, some of that is actually, uh, I have some of that uh some of that uh, information is, is posted in my blog. Um, some, you know, a lot of the information is in the book. Uh, the book was um, just kind of the beginning, and the research continues. But um, anyway, so yeah, these are these are uh, dramatic shifts that uh, that are thought to have occurred, uh, and that's the basis then of <laughs> getting. You know, it's kind of been a long-winded uh, prelude, but that's sort of the basis. Or this new approach to archaeological dating. Right. So we're coming up on a, on a break here. We'll start getting into it now, and then we'll continue after. And that is, we need to connect the dots then between Hapgood's pole shift theory uh, and the dating of some of these ancient sites, like the Temple Mount or Machu Picchu, uh, or or others, as we'll see, for example, in Sri Lanka. So, what is the connection then between the location of these ancient sites? And Hapgood's pole shift theory. Well, 
if, if you look at, at many uh, places today, many modern cities, uh, many modern sites are built uh, in alignment with the cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west. Uh, yet we find, uh, and, but there are some exceptions. I mean, uh, Manhattan is an exception. It, it has, it's adapted to the orientation of the island that it's built on. Um, but there are cases, many cases that we find where there are sites, um, ancient sites that are not aligned to north. And we ask the question, why? And that is what leads now to another possibility. Uh, not the conventional archaeoastronomy uh, theories that have to do with, you know, risings and settings of the planet Venus or, uh, or different uh, constellations, which, you know, certainly could have been a factor. But they're, I don't think they're, um, the, the answer seems to be simpler. And the pole shift hypothesis that I propose is a simple explanation that has a lot of power. It offers a lot of power. It explains a lot of sites and a lot of alignments. And that's kind of, that's the next step in sort of in our discussion, how we, how, how we can connect those dots. Right. But what, why would an ancient site, uh, be aligned or why, what was the motivation to align these, uh, the, or, or orient them towards the North Pole? What was the thinking there? Well, you know, that, that's, that's a good question. I mean, and this is pure speculation on my part, but perhaps, you know, the secret, the esoteric knowledge um, of the, the Masons and the Templars, maybe part of that knowledge was in, 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 in how things were built, in the architecture and the layout, in the, um, in ha- in the way sites were established. In China, there, there was always... Um, a sense of feng shui or, or, or uh, the proper alignment. And that was always in the cardinal direction. So it seems like building things in the cardinal directions is part of our DNA. It's like something that we just do. So if, if this is part of our DNA that we build things aligned to north, well, then how does that explain how things are misaligned? For example, in Machu Picchu, uh, the older structures uh, uh, at Machu Picchu are misaligned uh, by a significant amount uh, to north. In fact, way beyond and in the wrong direction of a, of a solar alignment, a solstice alignment, for example. What were they aligning it to? The well, old, the old, the new location of the North Pole because of the pole shift. I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, we'll we'll yeah, pick up on we'll, we'll pick up on this point uh, on the other side. Mark Carlotto, the author of Before Atlantis. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal, but if you want more... Listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all? To feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. And you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Better help is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com. That's help, H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash conspiracy. And join the over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp, they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp, and Conspiracy Unlimited. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com conspiracy. In another reality, Richard is a very strong and handsome man. Just not in our reality. Although I heard somebody passing him in the hall the other day, and it was, what, what a handsome man Richard is. I made that up. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. We are back with Dr. Mark Carlotto. His latest is Before Atlantis, and we're talking about pole shifts and uh, the alignment to the North Pole or the orienting of ancient sites to the North Pole and why certain ancient sites, uh, whether it's Machu Picchu or uh, the Acropolis, are not aligned to the North Pole but slightly askew. And as we were saying before the break, that ties into Hapgood's pole shift, that as the North Pole uh, as the mantle slipped and the North Pole, the physical location of the North Pole moved, so too did the alignment of these ancient sites towards the North Pole. So then you're finding examples of ancient sites that are pointed sort of more towards Norway or Greenland as an example. Exactly. Exactly. And what, go ahead. What, yeah. Yeah. So, so. What happened was I, I wasn't I actually wasn't thinking about this uh, at all consciously. I, I was in the process of of uh, checking out some some destinations in the Yucatan. We were going there on vacation, and uh, I, I went on Google Earth and I was looking <clears throat> looking at these sites, and I began to realize, wow, these why are these Sites all sort of miss, they're not pointed towards north. They're they're all sort of rotated in funny directions. It's it's probably something that you know only an engineer would notice, right? Yeah, um, of course. But uh, right. So, um, but then I'm I'm thinking, oh, you know, I remembered um, Flamat's uh, book uh, when the sky fell, and he talks about how uh, he makes a statement about 
the uh, Mexican pyramid uh, in the Teotihuacan that is misaligned uh, to north currently. But prior to the pole shift that he, you know, believed was responsible for the destruction of Atlantis and which resulted in you know, Atlantis sliding down to the South Pole, that um, the pole location prior to that shift being in Hudson Bay would have caused, you know, the features on the Earth's surface to rotate and shift. Imagine the whole, you know, if the reference point now at the north is now Hudson Bay instead of where it is now, there's a shift and a rotation of pretty much of everything on the surface, depending on where you are located uh, relative to that shift. And Teotihuacan would have been aligned almost uh, perfectly to the cardinal directions. And I remembered that, and I thought to myself, huh, I wonder if if the pole, if it were somewhere else, if it wasn't exactly where, where uh, Flamat said it was, but if it was slightly in a different position, what position would that be to put um, Teotihuacan-oriented exactly due north? And I figured that out through trial and error. But the problem is with, you know, with only one site, there's many solutions. Uh, so I thought, well, let me see if I can find a site somewhere else in the world and try to begin to triangulate a pole location. So I found a site in India. And, um, and then I found some other sites, some other sites in, um, in Central America. And actually began to find some sites in the South Pacific. And gradually, these uh, by looking at these alignments and adjusting the pole location, I could get all of them to fall into place. In other words, by putting a pole at a refined location, not not where <clears throat> Flamath had put it, but in a slightly different position, all these sites suddenly, magically, were now aligned to north. And I thought, hmm, this is interesting. And... Then, you know, one thing leads to another. I realized, well, um, Hapgood had two other uh, uh, hypothesized pole locations, uh, Norway, uh, Greenland area, <clears throat> excuse me, and the Yukon. And I thought, hmm, what could line up to pole locations in those places? And, uh, you know, the process continued. And over a period of a couple of months, uh, I looked at uh, hundreds, uh, hundreds of sites using uh, Google Earth, because I had a tool uh, that I could do this with. Uh, at no other time um, did, you know, did a tool exist that had both the power in terms of having, you know, imagery that was, you know, geographically and geometrically registered, you know, on a globe, on a sphere, and uh, imagery that had high enough resolution quality that you could actually see these sites and, you know, zoom right in on a feature like the uh, uh, Intihuatana at um, Machu Picchu and, you know, figure out its alignment relative to a pole, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away. And, uh, you know, it was, it, 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 it took some time, but over time uh, and there were some, some uh, changes in, you know, like I said, I had to adjust some of Hapgood's positions and in fact, I split one of his poles into two poles. So, um, before Atlantis, um, is based on actually four pole shifts, uh, with, with poles in Hudson Bay in the Norway Sea and Northern Greenland and in the Aleutian Islands, um, in the Bering Sea north of the Aleutian Islands. Um, and with these four pole locations, when the book was published, uh, late September, there were over, uh, four dozen sites that I found were in alignment. Wow. Um, so now with content. Yeah. I was just going to say, so if, what is the oldest pole alignment? In, uh, so the oldest pole shift of the four, which goes back the furthest. So the oldest pole shift is, uh, puts the oldest pole uh, in the Bering Sea, north of the Aleutian Islands. This corresponds to Hapgood's Yukon pole. So it's been adjusted uh, actually quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I didn't have to adjust this Hudson Bay pole very much because that was fairly recent. He had pretty good data on that. 
the Greenland poll, I had to move more. And the Yukon poll from Yukon to Bering Sea, I had to, I had to move the most. But this is expected because as you go back further in time, you're, you know, the data that he had, the accuracy wasn't as good. Um, but using his, his locations as starting points, I actually developed an algorithm where I took sites at different locations with their measured orientation and actually found the optimal location for a poll. And uh, actually, this, this is a paper that, that's coming out at a conference in, uh, in the spring. And um, so using this analy- analytical approach, uh, I was able to, or algorithmic approach, I was actually able to refine his positions and, and, and in fact, split one of the polls into four and come up with four locations that, uh, at the time, like I said, the, when the book was published, there were four dozen sites, and now I'm up to uh, about 70 sites worldwide that are aligned to these poll locations, which, which you know, is is kind of an interesting paradox because if you know, this whole thing is predicated on on an unproven hypothesis that of poll shifts, but if if Hapgood is wrong and these poll locations are wrong. Why is it that so many sites are aligned to them? It's right, right. Kind of interesting. And so this is how you, then you are able to roughly determine the the site's age or the the uh, the ancient location or the uh, the structure's age based on its alignment and which pole shift uh, it's tied to. So what exactly? What is the oldest uh, going back in geological ages? I mean, the oldest pole shift. Goes back how far right. in history? What? What? How many years? Oh yeah, sorry, I, I started answering that question, then I, I kind of drifted. So the oldest pole is the uh, Bering Sea pole. Uh, that goes back um, by a refined uh, timetable, uh, glacial, based on the you know ages of uh, glaciation and interglacial periods. Goes back to about uh, probably about one hundred twenty-five thousand years ago. One hundred twenty-five thousand. Wow, a thousand years ago, right? And, and sites. Can you yeah. give me an e- example of some ancient sites that are oriented towards the Bering Sea Pole? Yeah, so the sites uh, in Peru Sacred Valley, uh, the city of Cusco, uh, the um, uh, the Temple of uh, Three Windows at at um, at Machu Picchu. Uh, the um, uh, uh, structures at uh, Oyete Tambo, um, also in the Sacred Valley, um, and 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 so that that was the beginning. Those are the sites I found first, and th- and those sites kind of make sense because those are the, those are sites that have these enormous stones that are pieced together with incredible precision. You know these. They're not square. They're polygonal. They're very compl- uh, complicated, complexly shaped right, stones. Right. Right. As that, if, as if the yeah. rocks have been melted, and uh, and or yeah. softened and 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 placed together. Machu Picchu, the Temple of the Three Windows, is oriented towards the Bering Sea pole. That pole shift occurred 125,000 years ago. Correct. Do I, am I understanding this correctly? That's right. So does that mean that Machu Picchu is 125 was built 125,000 years ago at least? So so the hypothesis is not that the structures that we see there are necessarily that old. The hypothesis is that the original site was laid out 125,000 years ago. Um so you know we talked about sort of some basic ideas, you know, one basic idea is that we build things to north, all factors equal. Another idea is that we build on pre-existing um, uh, arrangements. Uh, and um, there's, there's many uh, examples of this um, uh, that are discussed in the uh, uh, archaeological literature, having to do in archaeoastronomy with uh, sites in, in uh, Mesoamerica. In fact, there are, are, are land um, land uh, land uh, patterns, patterns of land use, fields, and so forth that are aligned to old directions. Uh, some of them are these pole directions. So, so the idea is that these directions were established long ago, 
by by the first site, by the original layout of the site, that in some cases have seen has seen many stages of construction. Uh, this I think is perhaps more evident when we start talking about features in Europe, uh, like uh, the Parthenon or uh, the Temple of Jupiter um, in in Lebanon at, at Baalbek, um, where there's evidence of of structures being built on top of other structures. So the idea is that the first structure was was at Machu Picchu was in place uh, 125,000 years ago. Right, and and then perhaps whatever structure that was was destroyed because of the, the pole shift, the cataclysmic event, uh, and then was rebuilt using the same orientation. They think they're still pointing north, true north, but they're not. Is that the idea? Well, no. Well, no, they know that they're not pointing north anymore, uh, but they're, but it's viewed as perhaps a sacred site. It's old and it's perhaps viewed as, as being sacred. Uh, you know, nowadays there's a lot of, you know, a lot of, um, respect for, um, sacred alignments, for ley lines, things that, like that, that we don't really understand. It's, I don't know, it's not necessarily scientific, but there's a respect and appreciation for them. So, the other component might be that there was this this uh, this memory of how things were, and you you know and, and you know the remnants of the site, and that you just simply out of respect, you just kind of rather than you know totally um, you know renovate it, destroy it, and build it again. You sort of take what you have and you build upon it. But then a new site built during this 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 uh, this, uh, this era. Uh, after the pole shift would be built now towards the pole as it existed then. So at that point, it would be the Norway pole. So it would be, you know, pointed up, whereas Machu Picchu is tilted, you know, a site built, for example, there were sites built along Peru's coastline that uh, were built, uh, I believe, during the time of the Norway pole that were aligned to north at that time. And meanwhile, you know, a few hundred miles away, Machu Picchu and these other sites are misaligned, but perhaps were uh, were renovated, uh, not renovated, it's probably not the right word, but um, but uh, had been reused, or maybe they were in a state of disrepair for some time, eventually rebuilt uh, with the original plan, uh, the original al- alignment maintained. Right, but the, 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 the point is, or the one that jumps out at me is, someone built something there, 125,000 years ago or, or longer. Uh, right. And when I think of humankind 125,000 years ago, I don't think about organized labor camps. I think about nomadic, nomadic people, uh, hunting and gathering. Uh, so then how do you get people together to build something 125,000 years ago on, on that, of that magnitude? Well, so, so you know, you kind of jumped to the oldest site, but you know, we could look at uh, sites that are, were aligned to the Hudson Bay Pole, and and that pole probably existed from you know uh, twelve to eighteen thousand years ago back to maybe fifty thousand years ago or forty thousand years ago. Oh, okay. Um, and that 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 period of time predates um, mankind as well. We were talking about not going back 125,000 years ago to the, the Bering Sea Pole, but to the, was it the Hudson Bay Pole? And right. so we're talking about uh, ancient sites that are aligned to that pole, and they were going back some 50,000 years, again, at a time when, you know, man is uh, fairly nomadic, hunting, hunting hunters and gatherers. So what sites specifically are, are aligned uh, to the Hudson Bay Pole? Well, uh, numerous sites in uh, in Central America, in Mexico, um, especially. There are sites in India. Uh, there are sites um, in the Pacific um, as well. Uh, but by and large, um, the majority are in uh, are in the Yucatan. Uh, I mentioned uh, Teotihuacan uh, and and others. Um, and so, these were sites that. Um, by this, you know, according to this timeline, were built um, prior to the, to the last pole shift. Not, not, not the earliest one. Not the one hundred hundred twenty-five thousand years ago, but the one, you know, twelve to eighteen thousand years ago. Now, how could how could these sites have been built uh, by by man 
uh, because we hadn't, you know, this is even before we domesticated um, uh, wheat and uh, and corn, you know, uh, 10,000 B.C. Um, this is around the time, you know, of uh, Gepekli Tepe, which they discovered back, you know, um, back in the in the 1990s, I believe it was. Yes. Which was, you know, paradigm shattering, right? They, they No one could possibly have imagined in the mainstream uh, scientific community that they would find something like that. It totally upset, you know, the apple cart. Uh, you know, some of the archaeologists said uh, we have to rethink things because I think all of our all of our theories are wrong. So 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 what's going on? So how could these sites have been built before, you know, uh, before, you know, modern man emerged that, you know, the, the belief is that, you know, modern man emerged, modern humans emerged um, in a migration out of Africa, Africa around 70,000 years ago. And so. You know, it took some time, obviously, from that migration as primitive hunter-gatherers to develop the technology through the, you know, Stone Age uh, to the, you know, Age of Metals and so forth and to um, modern age. Uh, it took a period of time. Um, so how is it, you know, that they could have built these structures? Well, the answer is that, that they didn't. And that's that's the other, that's probably the other key idea in, Atl- in the Fort Atlantis is uh, is that we're not talking about modern humans. We're talking about a previous race um, on the planet. Right. Um, are we talking about the uh, the Denisovans, perhaps, or does it predate the Denisovans? Well, you know, in the beginning, I wanted to keep it uh, keep it generic, um, just just to try something different. I didn't want it to be aliens um, because it's sort of like. The alien answer is sort of like the Deus Ex Machina. Um, it's like this. It's like the easiest explanation. Uh, if we can't explain something, uh, you know, the aliens did it, or oh, they. Yeah. I they have to. Th- to I have it. to thank you for that. I have to thank you for that. It's this is refreshing. Let's let's look for answers closer to home. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, because I don't think we really totally. I mean, that look. I'm not saying that's not the answer, but let's exhaust. Uh, let's explore other possibilities. And so, yeah, the one, you know, one possibility is the Denisovans. And, um, there's actually a site up in, um, up in Siberia that I talk about, uh, on the website in some detail, uh, that, that might have been, uh, it's a, it's a structure that might have been built by Denisovans. Um, and, um, and so this, this would have been, uh, this particular site could have been built 80,000 years ago or 70,000 years ago. Uh, so obviously well before, uh, our, uh, our migration left Africa, but, uh, could have evolved out of a previous migration out of Africa. Um, perhaps one that left, um, uh, the continent, uh, 200 to 300,000 years ago. So, you know, if, if we developed a technological, uh, intelligence and civilization, in 70,000 years, you know, could someone else have done the same? Right. And, and then that knowledge, that civilization wiped out, which each, with each uh, cataclysmic event, ice age, pole shift, and we, it's tabula rasa. We sort of start from, whoop, we start from scratch, but not quite. Uh, am I? Right. Well, yeah. not quite. Yeah. Uh, not quite. <laughs> That's, we can talk about that. Well, we've got we've got about four minutes here before the break, but uh, um, okay, and we can get into that so, after. But I, I just wanted to touch again on the, the, the Denisovans because what little I do know about yep. them is they seem to have um, this um, attraction to is it the uh, the Cygnus constellation, the the Swan, right? This the the symbol is the Swan, and I'm wondering whether we find that. Swan symbol in places like Gobekli Tepe or any of these other ancient sites you've, you're talking about. Uh, Richard, you got you got one on me. I didn't know about Cygnus. Um, uh, actually, I, I haven't read anything about their their cosmologies or their their belief systems. My, you know, my my focus has really been kind of on looking at their technology. But that that's that's an interesting uh, thing that I will uh, obviously look into. Um, 
What is there? What, what, is there another way of yeah, tying, yeah, okay. say, Gobekli Tepe to the Denisovans? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I uh, I haven't thought about that one yet. The reason I actually uh, the, the site that I I believe that I have uh, made some correlation with uh, Denisovans is a site called uh, Por Porbasian. It's in Siberia. It's about I think it's a hundred, couple hundred kilometers east of the uh, of the cave of the Denisova cave. Uh, so it's it's in the same geographical area. Right. And um, and and the the way I make the connection is is again using alignments. I looked at the alignments of of, of poor Bayesian, and it's not aligned to the to the cardinal directions. It actually turns out not to be aligned to any of the poles, but to the summer solstice sunrise when the pole was uh, in Norway. Uh-huh. So in other words, it's rotated towards Norway, but it's not aligned to the cardinal directions, but it's aligned with the solstice. And and actually, it's it's very interesting. The dimensions of the site uh, also reference the um, the angle of the sun. There's there's some geometry involved, and it's, it's illustrated um, uh, on the website. But um, so on the one hand, I'm able to come up with an, with an alignment that correlates with Norway, and Norway was around eighty thousand, seventy, eighty thousand years ago, which is the time that they've been able to date or at, at they, they found some artifacts at first they thought they were 40,000 years old. Now they think they might be 70 or 80,000 years, uh, years old. And it, these include a, um, a, a, uh, a bracelet with a precisely drilled hole in it that could not have been drilled with a simple hand tool. It had to be some kind of a high speed drill. Amazing. So if they had precision tools for, you know, micro, uh, you know, Manufacturing, perhaps they also have the technology to build a site like like Port Bayesian, which is uh, which is it's, it's it's a really weird site. It's in the middle of a very shallow lake, uh, currently built on a permafrost plug. No one would live there now. You couldn't live there now. But so why is it there? Well, when the pole was in Norway, Siberia had a much more temperate climate, and ah. so the site makes a lot of sense. Fascinating. This just must have the. Uh the uh, academia uh, academians just flipping over. I mean, a lot of things at stake here, including tenure, no doubt. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.